Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizen Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. Thanks for joining us here today. We're well into summer 2018, summer of hell too, maybe. <laughs> um, but we're here to discuss the MTA again because there's a lot happening. And we want to make sure that you're up to date on what's happening around the MTA finances and MTA planning. If you missed any of our prior episodes, including a really good recent conversation with Bob Lynn, the New York City Labor Relations Director, check that out at your favorite podcast stream or at the Gotham Gazette or CBC website. Make sure that you're sharing the podcast with your networks and giving us feedback. You can find me on Twitter at TweetBenMax and Maria at Maria Doulis. So without further ado, today we have CBC's Jameson Daig with us. He's the resident expert at CBC on all things MTA and infrastructure. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And so we're going to talk with Jameson today about the MTA's recently released financial plan. And to start us off, here's Maria. The data point this week is $17 billion, the preliminary budget for the MTA in 2019. This is an increase of 2.1% from 2018. Since 2010, the MTA's budget has grown by $5.7 billion and 50%. The budget proposal continues the biannual toll and fare increases approved as MTA policy back in 2009, meaning riders should expect a 4% increase to ticket prices starting in March of next year. Jameson Daig, CBC's Director of Infrastructure Studies, is here to break it all down for us. Welcome, Jameson. So as Maria said, we have a preliminary budget for next fiscal year for the MTA, which Mm -hmm. is the calendar year. So we're talking about starting in January 2019, which is um, scarily creeping up on us. So we have a preliminary budget. What's the sort of process here, and when will we have the actual budget for 2019? Right. The MTA staff um, takes a look at the budget throughout the the rest of the year. Uh, They'll put together a final proposal in November, uh, which they'll present to the board. Uh, and the board will have a chance to discuss at that point. Um, depending on that discussion and any sort of fine-tuning, uh, staff will present sort of a, a final official budget at the December board meeting, which the, the board will be uh, expected to consider and vote on at that point. And the MTA budget, this is, we have to always remember there's two separate budgets going on when we talk about the New York City budget and state budget and and the MTA, same thing. We're talking here about expense, uh, so we're not talking about the big capital. Right, right. We're we're talking about the operating budget, Um, so the revenues and and the expenses on what's needed on an ongoing basis. Um, And this is growing, as Maria said, pretty rapidly over the last, I guess we're talking almost decade now, we've seen a pretty large growth. Is that something that concerns you, just generally speaking, or is it sort of line up with what we would expect? Um, the growth is not necessarily the problem in and of itself. Um, at $17 billion, this is you know sort of a new milestone, um, crossing another B off. Um, uh, some of the concerns are sort of the specific types of expenses that are growing ra- rather rapidly. Um, labor expense, one thing, there's about 75,000 employees of the MTA. Um, so both, you know, salaries and wages, but also the fringe benefits. When we think about health benefits and we think about um, retiree uh, health care costs, things like that are growing very rapidly at the MTA and, and taking on sort of a larger share of the budget. 
Um, and it's a pretty big theme we've discussed over a number of podcasts at different, on different topics. Those sure. are the costs that are often driving a lot of budget increases. Sure. So break, so break it down for us. I mean, what are the, what's the sort of overview here of this? Again, we need to remember this $17 billion is a, is a proposal, an outline. The final budget for next year at the MTA probably won't deviate too much from that, right? But, Correct. But it is still a working number. Right. Um, and I, the, what's sort of important to keep in mind for next year is now what we're seeing is the sort of the first full year impact of these various agency action plans. Think about the subway action plan. We think about the bus action plan. Uh, the Long Island Railroad has a forward initiative. Metro North has their own uh, initiative. Um, and, and these are uh, programmatic uh, policy decisions to uh, uh, go in and, and do what they can to improve the reliability of the transit system. Um, to uh, whether it's increasing maintenance, um, adding additional service, um, changing the way that they are thinking about operating the system in some of these cases. Um, a lot of this work requires uh, a lot of new hires um, to do the work, um, actually to sort of restore some of the, the maintenance and, and other types of sort of ongoing costs that were cut following the recession, but which now seem to be needed in order to, to try to keep up with the wear and tear uh, on, on the system. So where, where, uh, let's pick up with the subway action plan for a yeah. second. Where are we now? So there was, you know, there was a big plan unveiled by Chairman Loda. Um, he said, you know, we're going to see results on this very quickly. The plan is to sort of bring in the resources we need to improve the maintenance and operation side. We're going to need the money. There's a lot of controversy that we've discussed here before about who exactly was going to pay or rather which entity of government. Um, and ultimately in budget negotiations, the state pressed the city's hand to get a payment towards this plan. Have there been results, or at least do the data show any positive movement? Because um, I'm not sure that riders feel that there's been a big difference. But what do the data show, and how has it impacted the budget so far? Sure. Um, the data show that the results are a little bit muddy. Um, some of the performance metrics that um, the MTA uses to measure the reliability um, as well as sort of the on-time performance show some improvements. Overall, for example, subways are, are still reporting on time two out of three times on a weekday, which is not good. Um, but they have seen some upticks in, in some of the reliability measures uh, and subway car reliability. Um, and, and so it, to a certain extent, the jury is still out a little bit. Uh, part of the reason is, as you mentioned, um, the MTA made the choice to uh, slow down their implementation of the subway action plan, for example, until they had received fund, basically the other half of the funding that they were asking for. Um, so that this financial plan, the MTA financial plan, is the first that incorporates the $254 million this year in 2018 from the city. Uh, it also is the first to include um, the new funding stream, uh, the Transit Assistance Fund, which will be funded by uh, additional fees on four higher vehicle trips that either occur in or traverse Manhattan south of 96th Street. Um, going forward, the MTA expects that to bring in 360 to $380 million a year, um, and that is supposed to help support the ongoing costs of the subway action plan so that there is a uh, funding stream there to sort of support this added or redoubled effort toward uh, improving the system. So I didn't realize, I don't think, that the subway action plan is sort of this continuing program of fixes, and this money is partly going on the books for 2019. 
That's right. Um, a big, big chunk of it is actually. Um, and again, some of that is because they, they slowed down the implementation of it. Uh, and, and But a lot of it is sort of ongoing operating costs. It's hiring additional workers so that you can keep another uh, shift open on the car maintenance shops. It's um, hiring additional uh, uh Maintainers, so that you are uh, shortening the uh, maintenance cycles again, and um, getting to the various signals and switches, and and on a more regular basis. Uh, there are capital investments that are part of the subway action plan that was part of sort of arresting the immediate emergency, um, but sort of the the larger cost in the long run is going to be the sort of the additional costs related to keeping these efforts up, as opposed to uh, letting them expire. And, and ending up in the same place uh, where we were. So you sort of outline three big buckets of the $17 billion, um, significant chunk towards labor, other expenses, and then there's debt service. That's also the, Are those the three? Is that right. the way to think about the three big right. buckets here? Um, is there an ideal metric as a budget watchdog that you know debt service shouldn't be above a certain percentage of an expense plan, or is that not really... The way well, to think about we, it. We have them for local governments, for state governments. I think they're mostly determined by taking the median point, you know, when you do a comprehensive survey of large government entities. Um, I don't remember what they are offhand, actually, but, you know, the MTA is slightly different, right? Because you're talking about not only a tax base, but you're talking about fares repaying those revenues and other kind of um, revenue streams. And so, there's nothing, there's no transit right, but, system like it in the country. And, right, yeah. but the, of course the flip side of why it would be concerning, why it is concerning to have debt grow as a share of your operating expense is that you can't reduce it in a time of stress. So once the revenues start to, you know, if, if fair revenue is reduced or tax revenue is reduced because you're in an economic downturn or for, because of some other shock um, or trend even, you're stuck paying you that pay debt that service. You got to pay it back, which is why it's it's always concerning, and you know why there should always be kind of a healthy mix of debt and and some pay-as-you-go funding for these capital expenses. And of course, underlying all that is the premise that the capital investments <laughs> are good ones and ones for which they'll be you know bang on the buck in return for investment. Um, and a whole lot of issues to unpack there with the MTA certainly sure. that have been in the news, but we won't get into for time. But on the but. Some of that does relate to the other side of the ledger, which is revenue. Mm -hmm. um, so, Jameson, take us through some of this financial plan, MTA financial plan for 2019, and, and some of the revenue side of the equation. Sure. Um, so, we really focus on sort of the transit side of, of the revenue. Um, bridges and tunnels, which are part of the MTA, are self-supporting. Um, so, toll revenue is enough to not only pay for their operations, but also any sort of debt that they've taken out in order to... Uh, you know, maintain their own bridges. Um, they actually cross-subsidize transit, so there are additional toll revenues that, that sort of go into the general uh, MTA and, and transit bucket. And we should say that's a good thing. Yes. Right? Because drivers impose additional external costs, and they are subsidizing transit because of the externalities. So of, of the, the transit system, just, just thinking about uh, New York City Transit as well as the commuter railroads, about half of the costs are covered by fares. Um, and, and some other operating revenues, things like advertising, real estate, things like that. Um, and about 35% uh, or a third is from dedicated taxes and subsidies. Um, and these are, we think of these as sort of the more general taxpayer subsidies. Um, so whether it's real estate 
taxes or the payroll mobility tax, which is a payroll tax on employers within the MTA region. Um, these are uh, sort of uh, general taxes that we think of as being paid to uh, the MTA for the benefits to the competitiveness of the region of, of you know, tying residents to jobs and, and to schools and, and, work and, and, um, and appointments and things like that. Um, and those are dedicated revenue sources to the MTA to help, you know, annually mm-hmm. subsidize basically the operations. That's right. So we've established, right, that subway action plan has not gotten off as quickly as riders and probably the MTA management would have liked. Um, and so there's still a lot of frustration among riders, <clears throat> still a lot of frustration among riders about their experience and the timeliness and the reliability of the system. And now the MTA is asking for a fare hike. Mm-hmm. And it was predictable, but the you know the feeling among riders is that well you know what we're paying more for service that's not improving. What's the counter argument? Why are the fare hikes necessary? Um, well, I, I would I would say that the argument is a fair one um, on 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 one hand, and I think the MTA recognizes that uh, the new transit president Andy Byford has put forward. Um, I believe what are called quarterly commitments, which are more specific than in the past, at least, um, public promises of, of certain achievements that the subway action plan um, and the transit authority in general hope to achieve um, you know, over time, whether it's uh, replacing a certain amount of uh, track with improved continuously welded rail or cleaning out a certain number of uh, subway stations, giving them a deep cleaning or fixing a certain number of signals and switches. Um, and that accountability is good. But that's more of looking forward, will they achieve those? Um, in the past, um, CBC's advocated for biennial fare increases because you know, regular predictable fare increases have been something that have helped bolster the MTA's financial condition, particularly since the Great Recession. Um, having them on a more regular basis allows riders to sort of plan for and adjust for the costs. Um, it's worth noting that, you know, for the most part, these uh, fare increases are at or below uh, inflation in the region, um, so they aren't necessarily out of control uh, when we think about them in comparison. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is that many people don't pay full what you think of as full price or full single ride when they use the transit system. Um, you know, there are a lot of volume-based discounts, free transfers. Um, and so the average fare revenue per ride is closer to $1.90, $2, somewhere around there uh, about this point. There are folks who, um, you know, even that cost uh, is still a burden to use mm-hmm. the transit system. And um, that's one of the reasons why we advocated for the city to adopt fare fares, um, which was a way to reduce this burden, particularly on low-wage uh, individuals and households. Um, and, and fair fares is, you know, half-price metro card for those who qualify. Um, and so that's something which I, I, we will see here now that it's been approved, what the uptake is on something like that and what the impact is on um, the MTA system and, and also the workforce. But that's a good way to sort of uh, blunt the, um, the impact of fare increases on sort of the, the lowest end of the Households and having regularly scheduled fare increases also helps remove some of the politics from it, right? right? Where you would see something like in an election year this year. I mean, it is part of the conversation, but it would probably be much more so if it hadn't already been established as sort of this regular, uh, to be expected increase that a lot of people agree is just sort of necessary. The problem, as Maria alluded to, of course, is that riders 
want to see a functioning transit system, if they're going to be sort of dinged a little bit more every couple of years for an increase, even if it's not hitting inflation, and even if there are a lot of other subsidies or ways in which the true price of a ride is not exactly what, um, you know, this sort of advertised single ride cost is, you know, that's where we get into some of the conversation. But I, you know, I've seen watching the political side of it, you know, it's very interesting to see that it's you just can imagine if it hadn't been scheduled, how much of a discussion would be, and who would be trying to play. You know, play you wouldn't even be able to raise it in this environment, exactly. right? Right. Exactly. Um, and you know, the thing people need to realize is that the service is so extensive, both in terms of distance, but also the fact that it operates twenty four seven. You know, the system operates twenty four seven. And that is unlike probably any other system in the world. And it, there's a price. There's a price to that. And in terms of your monthly investments as a New Yorker, the MetroCard probably ranks near the top in terms of what you get for what you pay, right? Hmm. Um, but, you know, people do want to feel like if they're paying more that they can rely on, on the service and that it, the service is good. Um, and so, you know, there, we've talked about this also, about, you know, riders are doing their share, drivers are doing their share. You know, what about then looking at the other side about the costs and what is labor doing to increase its productivity, right? If we're going to hire all these new folks so they can improve the system and really tackle the problems, are they doing it in the most effective way possible? Um, and the answer there, based on the data we reviewed, is not really. And that's something that is not, you know, that it, that is more of a political yes. third rail, forgive me. Um, but, you know, that, that is not necessarily really being, being talked about at this point in this election season. Um, one thing that is being talked about right now is certainly for higher vehicles and the relationship between the transit system and the four hire vehicles is part of the equation with the MTA figuring out its books, its ridership, its revenues. Um, and so what are they, what's the MTA sort of looking at around four hire vehicles? And we should say this conversation is happening as the city council is pretty much on the verge of some new legislation that's meant to um, reduce the number of four hire vehicles in the central business district and really throughout the city in a way um, to try to reduce some congestion. But this has a, a serious effect on how the MTA's service is, is being discussed as well. Right. The the MTA made a, as part of their July board meeting, had a, a more extensive sort of reporting on ridership trends and, and what they're seeing. And uh, they feel that four hire vehicles are absolutely uh, having an impact on on subway ridership, um, you know, for you know they're seeing a lot higher, uh, or excuse me, they're seeing ridership dips in the outer boroughs and in off peak times, times which makes more sense to, uh, or times and situations that maybe make more sense to take a four hire vehicle if you can get one um, to come pick you up, um, you know, and this is a a big impact on on their budget. You know, I, I think that if you look at uh, the financial plan that was released, you know, just last month versus what they put out a year ago, um, they've had to take out about five hundred million in, in fair revenue projections. Um, you know, so they're they're losing they're That's losing riders. They're losing riders because people are uh, less willing to do deal with service on the weekends that might be less convenient or not run as often or have outages. 
Um, so part of it is they're, they're sort of being pushed away from the subway system because of you know the work that's going on, which we say is important, needed to bring the system to a state of good repair. But with the four higher vehicles, they're also sort of being pulled out by these you know much better options that are out there for you know completing their trips in a, in a more expedient fashion. Um, the one thing that's sort of interesting and in what, what the MTA uh, had said in this report was that uh, they see a lot of the um, the the dips in, in ridership are coming from people who have unlimited Metro cards, which means that they have a free ride already, but they're still choosing to go do something else, whether it's a four hire vehicle or a taxi cab, maybe they're paying $25 for a trip or, you know, That's maybe they're walking incredible. or maybe they're taking a city bike or something, but, um, you know, they're, they've got more options and they're taking them. And there's a sort of this, you know, almost catch 22 relationship with the buses and the four hire vehicles, right? Is that, you know, when, the when the transit system is not functioning the way it should be and the buses don't move as quickly and the subway's breaking down more people maybe look towards the four hire vehicles the roads get clogged the buses slow down even more mm-hmm. you know to some extent i mean there's there's a lot of things that need to be worked out here in this equation um there's also uh issues around sort of how subway work is affecting subway ridership and you know we're also, obviously, we have this looming L train shutdown, but that's not really the full extent of it, right? Because part of the part of everything that Andy Byford wants to do has to do with repairs and upgrades as well. That's right. Um, they had the Andy Byford's fast forward plan, which it presented earlier this summer, um, talks a lot about major projects, which will mean shutting down entire subway lines for extended periods of time or for an extended number of weekends or evenings. Um, those types of projects are needed. Resignaling the subway system is something that has to happen. Um, but it will have an impact on ridership. It will have an impact on who uses the system, and um, the MTA is going to have to balance all those things when they think about um, what they're going to present as part of their next capital program on what sort of what work they can actually get done with their capacity. So that's a good segue, I think, into talking about piece of about the capital plan that you wrote recently which was focused in on subway cars Mm -hmm. and so subway cars and their malfunctioning has a lot to do with subway car reliability and the frustrations of riders and so you looked at data that showed that this has increased um and then took sort of the look behind the current to say why Mm -hmm. and so you had this very interesting report that came out recently that was about how the sub the mta purchases subway cars so what were the findings of that report and what were your recommendations so we took a, sort of a look at uh, subway car reliability, which you know, transit says is, is a critical element of how they measure how well they're delivering service. Um, they measure it in sort of the amount of the distance a car travels between breakdowns, um, which they call the mean distance between failures. So if I say MDBF that, quickly, that's, that's what I mean. You're um, with it. You're with the lingo yes. now, audience. Um, and this MDBF measurement was as low as it had ever been in the 80s. It was like 7,000 miles. Today it's you know like 120,000, 130,000 miles. So it's it's it was really bad, it, and things can be worse. Is a good right. thing to remember there. Um, but what we found is sort of studying this over time um, is that the MTA made a huge investment in the 80s in buying uh, you know almost 1,800 new subway cars, so turning over about a third of the fleet. Um, they overhauled basically everything else that they had, um, and uh, they came up with a new system of maintaining the cars. So making sure that they had sort of regular 
uh, inspections and checkups and go in to sort of tear a car apart and fix things before they become problems um, that they call their scheduled maintenance system. And so this, these big investments um, in sort of replacing cars regularly and the ongoing maintenance efforts really kept uh, improving car reliability through uh, basically the mid to late 2000s. Um, around the time of the Great Recession, what we find is that um, the MTA began to cut its maintenance investments uh, and saying that cars could go longer in between tune-ups. Um, and they also began to purchase fewer cars than were sort of needed on a regular basis. And right. So pause right there. Mm-hmm. So one of them is an operating budget impact. That is saying the taxes and the fair revenue are not coming in. We need to cut our expenses to balance. And so we're going to stretch out these maintenance cycles and essentially perform less maintenance over time. The other is a decision in the capital budget, which is to say um, we are shrinking this capital plan by ex- pushing out or kicking out the purchase of these cars. Correct. And and. There's sort of two parts to the capital side. Um, on one hand, there was the decision to sort of um, the decision or or the circumstances to either delay or reduce the size of car orders. But there's also uh, been issues over the past five or six years on getting cars that they did order. Um, manufacturer defects in a set of cars have delayed um, some of these for you know years over when they, they thought they would be here. Um, there were some issues following Hurricane Sandy where one of the test tracks was screwed up, so you had an issue where the cars were coming even later then. Um, think of it this way. Uh, based on the size of the fleet and the fact that you need to replace a car about every 40 years, um, you need to replace about 125 new cars annually. And you order these things in lots. It's not like you, you go to the store and you buy 125 each year. It's not that easy. But between 2011 and 2017, New York City Transit received an average of only 23 cars per year. So whether from delays or from ordering less than what they needed, um, you really see sort of this, this backlog. We've got a lot of really old cars operating today. You know, the oldest cars in the system um, are as old as 53 years. You've got more than 1,000 cars that are operating past sort of this useful life of 40 years, sort of this guideline of about how long a car can last. Well, so the other thing that that's interesting to talk about a little bit, and it goes to Ben's point about the politics, is who decides and how decisions are made about what's in the capital plan, right? So we're talking about an era in which the investment in subway cars, which is not sexy but necessary, is pushed out into another plan. And But post-recession, we see increased investments, for example, in Second Avenue subway to get it done no matter what. Right, we see huge investments in East Side access and these mega projects. So, you know, the allure of these mega projects for um, political officials is tremendous, and they always, funding for those projects always seems to stay or in grow in the capital plan to the to the um, expenses, not the right to the detriment of projects like subway car replacement. And are we seeing any indication that that is something that might change under? A, political pressure uh, from subway riders and politicians taking up their cause and advocates, et cetera, um, and also just the reality of the situation. New leadership, Andy Byford, you know, some of I mean, is that... Right. So uh, the MTA did order a new car at the beginning of this year. Um, now... That's a new car? A, well, excuse me, a model a of new cars. Um, but it's, it takes a while <laughs> to develop a, a prototype. It's on Andy's desk. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's 
just got one. It, you know, yeah. it, it takes a while to develop a prototype and to get sort of the first sort of actual cars that you're going to use. Um, so, you know, the, the car order was for, you know, uh, about, I want to say about 1,000 cars, um, 1,200 cars. Um, the MTA won't receive all of those, according to the contract, until 2023. So it, they take a while to deliver. And that's not a big number, runner. considering the system. Sure, sure. Um, fast forward, uh, the, the Biford plan um, does include commitments for new subway cars. Um, they've got, uh, basically it means purchasing an additional 2,000 cars over what they've already said, um, and the conversion of about 1,200 existing cars so that they can... Uh, operate on the new signaling system, which is, of course, sort of the, the, the keystone of this fast-forward plan. Um, so really, there is no fast-forward if you don't have sort of new and converted subway cars. So it is something that they'll have to look at in the future. And this this Biford plan, as far as I can tell, pretty widely praised. It's a very aggressive nuts-and-bolts plan, right? You marry those two things, that's pretty encouraging to people who just want a reliable system with good repairs and upgrades. Um, the big question, though, is still funding and implementing it on the aggressive timeline, which, you know, as we know, the MTA, and it's not alone, but the MTA is not great on delivering on even their, you know, projected timelines. Um, is there, but is, is that your impression as well, generally, of that the plan is, is a good one? And the biggest thing is figuring out the the revenue and making it happen. Right, I, I think it's directed in the right at, at the right types of projects, um, and it's it, it doesn't sugarcoat sort of the aggressiveness of the plan and what would be required as far as um, sacrifices to users of the system um, when it talks about sort of shutting down lines to to resignal in those types of projects. Um, it's it's all about sort of demonstrating that they can do it. So we're going to try to have. Andy Byford join us sometime soon so he can he can explain his plans further and respond to some of your reports and your critiques. Um, last couple of minutes here, Jameson, just other other things on the MTA preliminary plan, the issue of um, out year gaps. Is that something that you want to highlight? I mean, is this, you know, are there concerns around around that larger budgeting framework? The MTA has in this in this budget they've they are showing cash deficits beginning in 2020, uh, which is year two of the plan. Um, this is while it's not atypical for them to have out year deficits, even even in the second year, um, these these cash deficits are larger than we've seen at any point since the recession. Um, they are happening as the MTA has taken some sort of one time actions to help. Uh, fixed previous budget holes that maybe aren't available to them this time. Um, you know, in, in ju- as part of the July meeting, they let the board know their plan is to use half their reserve for you know, expenses that they need in this year, um, which is a little bit earlier than they've had to do in, in, in previous years. Um, so these are, uh, these are concerning, especially uh, in light of the fact that the economy is still growing, although slowly, uh, here in the region. Um, you know, any sort of downturn could have, you know, a, a pretty significant effect on, on the plan and require some big changes um, between now and the end of the year. Um, yeah. And so, um, just finally from me, you ex- you explain the timeline, the MTA fiscal year is the calendar year, so by between now and August and December, we'll see the final changes, tweaks, discussions around uh, 
this expense budget, this operating budget for next year. And we're also looking at what's going to happen with the larger capital budget and capital plan and questions around how that's getting funded and how the two budgets coincide to get Byford's plan moving. Is that a good general way to, for people to be thinking about it as we head towards those major decisions? I mean, the, expe- the operating budget and the capital budget are not being decided at the same time, correct? Correct, correct. What we'll see you know, over the next year or so is we'll begin to see the MTA compile uh, what they call their needs assessment, which is sort of a, an inventory of what sort of work needs to be done as part of the, the next five-year capital program and future capital programs. And that'll be the document that is supposed to drive discussion around the, pr- the proposed capital program, which we we'll, you know, won't see until... Next year. Next year. Next year, yeah. Um, th- that's not a, a schedule that's set in stone. That's just sort of based on, on precedent there. But, um, you know, it's definitely looming over, you know, everything that the MTA board considers and, and what they're working on. So we'll leave it there. A lot of good work from J- Jameson in this area. He's got more good reports coming out in the next few months everyone should check out. Um, he's been on the podcast before. We've done other episodes on MDA issues that you should check out if you're interested. And we will be back soon with more on public policy, budgets, and all the good stuff we love to discuss here. Jameson, thanks for the time and the thoughts. Thanks for having me. Bye.